episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected is brought to you by Bridgeside Medical Clinic, Chesapeake Integrated Behavioral Healthcare, and Edgar Casey's ARE. Now more than ever, we have an opportunity to be a positive force in the world, to help heal the divide, to treat each other and ourselves with respect. But with so many tools out there, from meditation to physical training, proper nutrition, therapy, and so many others, we all need a little help navigating all the options. Join us as we share in-depth information, insights, and thought-provoking discussions that will help answer your questions about how to stay calm, cool, and connected during these times. Welcome to Calm, Cool, and Connected, your guidebook to peace of mind. Hello, and welcome to Calm, Cool, and Connected. I'm your host, Dr. Elizabeth Bedrick. While addiction is an incredibly common topic in the mental health field, the issue of pornography addiction is usually something less often discussed. This is likely due to the discomfort that it creates for a lot of people. However, pornography addiction has certainly been on the rise as the accessibility of electronic devices, the internet, all of those modern technology has also been on the rise. This has created an increase in this concern. And research suggests that about 5 to 8% of adults struggle with this form of addiction and that it commonly co-occurs with other addictions as well. Joshua Shea is a pornography addiction expert and a betrayal trauma coach who's here to talk with us today about the truths of this form of addiction and give us some insights around it. Hi, Joshua. Welcome. So much for having me today. Thank you so much for being here. This is a really interesting, profound, whatever word we want to use to describe it, topic that is, like I mentioned in the intro, not talked about so frequently. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, and the work that you do in it and, and also how you got into it. Yeah, well, the long story, you know, short is that I became a pornography addict myself at 12 years old. I had a very stereotypical textbook story, which involves being, you know, somebody who was unfortunately the victim of abuse. And I had to, I had to learn that my coping techniques that I used for 20 years as an addict, like you said, co co addicted with alcohol, that it just simply wasn't uh, a manageable way to live. I didn't even realize that uh, pornography addiction was a thing for most of my addiction. Ironically, when I finally went and got help for both my alcoholism and my pornography addiction in rehabs, I recognized just how little there was out there when it came to pornography addiction truths for average people. It was being studied, but none of the none of the response and none of the details were coming out and trickling down. So I decided that, you know, since I didn't think I fit the stereotypical addict mold, I was going to go ahead and start creating resources for people who were like me and who were, you know, maybe a little bit afraid to look into this, maybe didn't want to face the truth. And uh, since I've been doing this, it's been wonderful because this is truly such an epidemic that's going on really just under the surface, sort of a subculture, but it's hitting so many people these days. And I'm just glad that I can be there to help. I'm sure. And I'm sure you're helping a lot of people because like you're saying, there maybe is not tons of resources. And because of the shame or the judgment or even the societal views about sex in general, that puts this into a whole unique category that often just doesn't get discussed or addressed in the way that it needs to be. Yeah, abs absolutely. It's because it's naked people. It's because it's sex. It's because pornography scratches certain itches we don't want to even, in, 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 even admit to ourselves in the back of our head. 
And until we can start talking about pornography, how can we possibly talk about pornography addiction? So we kind of need to grow up and be adults about this stuff and recognize sure. that we have to talk about it. Sure. So tell me, what what's the correlation from the research that you've been doing between mental health concerns, trauma issues, as you stated earlier? What's the correlation between those two things and pornography addiction? Well, with pornography addiction, one of the greatest studies that was done, Dr. Patrick Carnes, who's kind of the godfather of study in this area, among men, roughly 70% of porn addicts have some kind of abuse in their background of a physical nature. Around 80% have abuse of a sexual nature. Over 90% have abuse of a mental or emotional nature. And that involves trauma that has not been resolved because along the way, these men have found a outlet to cope with it. They found their crutch. And now that we're learning more about this, now that we're seeing after 20 years of high-speed internet what happens, you know, it, it, it's time that people step up and recognize that most addicts have mental health issues. It doesn't even matter about the addiction. Most addicts have mental health issues, but it's also important to recognize people with mental health issues are not necessarily all addicts. Absolutely. Such an important distinction. And I, I really appreciate you bringing in that trauma piece because the unprocessed, unresolved trauma has profound effects on so many people's lives, whether it's through addiction or the impact on their relationships or their daily functioning. We know that unresolved trauma is really powerful in how it influences the behaviors and, as you're saying, the coping techniques that are chosen. And so that's, I appreciate you bringing that, that up. That's crucial. How is pornography addiction similar to other types of addiction? Where, what is the link or well, commonality there? If, if you boil it down to a cellular level, pornography addiction doesn't take place you know, in the crotch. Food addiction doesn't take place in the stomach. Gambling addiction doesn't take place in the wallet. It all takes place up mm -hmm. here. And it's just that the person found whatever it is to calm the storm in their head. On a chemical level, 95% of addiction is basically the same on a chemical level in someone's head. Of course, they all have different side effects depending on what you put into your body or the behavior that you use. But it, it, it absolutely is a, a serious thing that, you know, it, I lost 20 years of my life to this. I, I didn't, you know, I was walking around not being who I should be. And that's why I do this is I don't want any other person growing up now, especially in the, in the years of high speed internet ending up like I did. I, you know, nobody said anything to me when I was young. What can we say? So people don't end up here. Absolutely. When you mentioned earlier that you weren't even aware that it was a pornography addiction for you for a long time, what what brought that awareness to you? What, where did that insight come from? Well, I, I recognized I used pornography differently than people as far back as high school. But what actually recognized it was I went to rehab for my alcoholism. And after about four or five weeks, my caseworker said, I think you may have some issues around sexuality and addiction there. I'd like you to meet. I'd like you to meet with a colleague of mine off campus. And that's when he explained to me, this is what porn addiction is. It's absolutely real. Here's our, here's a lot of the causes of it. And I was just textbook along the way and he didn't have to do a lot of convincing. And within three or four weeks, he was helping to dredge up memories of the abuse that I suffered when I was mm -hmm. young. And unfortunately that, and that hurts and that's hard. 
but yeah. that's the first step in healing. You know, recovery Absolutely. is recovery isn't easy, but boy, is it worth it. Right. And when we when we think about risk factors, so you mentioned the statistics on abuse and trauma that can be risk factors for this addiction specifically. What are some other potential risk factors that could even lead to this or even open someone up to it, I guess? I don't quite understand the question. So even thinking about maybe a lack of supervision, you know, as we're thinking about the modern world and oh, yeah. this lack of supervision with children on their on the Internet or what they're doing with their free time, you know, things like that. Have you found any of that in your research? Well, I'll tell you, when I'm able to go and give presentations, which is starting to come back, I almost always have uh, one parent or two parents come up to me and say, you know, we loved what you were talking about, but we don't have to worry because we have filters on our telephones and filters on our kids' devices. And I usually end up saying, congratulations, you locked down one phone out of the 4.8 billion on earth. We live in a world where your child, it's not a matter of if they're going to see pornography, it's a matter of when. And if you don't know how they are going to respond, you can bury their head and your head in the sand all you want, but you're not really taking care of things. And that's what we need to do is begin with an age-appropriate plan to teach kids about pornography, to teach kids about things going on. You know, at six years old, you can tell your child, do not let anybody ever take pictures of you without your bathing suit on. And mm -hmm. you can't, you're not allowed to take pictures of other people without their bathing suit on. And then you go off and forget about it for a while. There's a little message and you can do age appropriate messages. So by the time they start to hit their teen years, you can be a little more frank with them and let them know that, yes, you'll be interested in pornography. That's completely natural. Mm -hmm. But pornography, you know, much like cigarettes or drinking or whatnot, is not allowed in our house if you're under 18. A lot of parents are afraid to talk about pornography with their kids because they think it's the birds and bees speech. And it's not. It's the mm -hmm. don't touch drugs, don't smoke, don't drink. It's part of that speech, not how babies are made. Right. I And that's great insight. I mean, that's exactly what I mean with the, you know, work that I do with parents. It's all about that conversation. And it's about being willing to have these hard and open conversations because to your point, their kids are going to have access to it all. But if they've had these conversations repeatedly and they've brought it to their children's awareness, that's crucial for the preventative measures. Sent because, you know, like, like I said, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And you prepare your kids for all of the other bad things in the world. In the 1950s, we prepared kids for nuclear war by having air raid drills. Thankfully, we don't have to do that anymore, but it's the 2020s. This is where we are. We have to step up and respond correctly as parents and as a society. Sure. So tell us before we wrap up, if somebody suspects that maybe they're struggling with this type of addiction, what's the first step? What like even so they just listen to this, shut it off. What's the next step? Well, first thing I'll say is if you're questioning yourself, you probably do have an issue because nobody ever questions, gee, do I have a vacuuming addiction? It just doesn't happen. So if you think you have a problem, that's a big indicator something's there. I always say, First, talk to a professional and get a baseline. Figure out where you are. There are many different levels of addiction, compulsion, bad habits. Figure out where you are. And if you're at a place that you need to create some kind of a strategy, as soon as possible, talk to somebody who's been there. Talk to somebody who has been successful. When I coach uh, both men and women with pornography issues, you just see this relief on their face when they recognize 
I've been there. I've been successful. But not only that, I probably saw just as bad things as they did. And I'm not going to judge them. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to shame them. I'm going to create a safe space. And when people feel safe, that's when they can start to address their recovery. That's when they can start to be honest about their problems. That's when they can start to evolve and become healthy again. Absolutely. That healing takes place in connection. We know that isolation just breeds whatever the trauma, the mental health concerns, the addiction. When somebody's isolated on their own, all of that increases. When they find connection and support, they can really get the help they need. So that's a great point. Where can our viewers find you? Where can they find more information about you? Well, my website is paddictrecovery.com. That's the letter P, Addict Recovery. And you can also find me on pretty much all the major socials except Facebook because I don't care who you voted for at P Addict Recovery. And uh, you'll get lots of tips both about recovery, about what uh, addiction is like and uh, how to just try to, you know, create the best life possible for yourself. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Joshua, for joining us. All right. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you all for tuning into this episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected. Please make sure to find us on Facebook and Instagram. And also make sure to rate and subscribe to our podcast so that others can discover our content as well. Thank you again for joining us in this episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected. 